Welcome, everyone. It is Friday, December the 3rd, 2021. It is currently 5.26 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas, West Texas to be exact, where it is a beautiful summer day here in West Texas. It's 82 degrees right now. It was it was 87 degrees earlier. The sun is slowly setting. And here I am, empty sanctuary, ready to talk a little church history, do a little devotional study, a little Bible study, a little theological study as we turn our attention to the book, The Imitation of Christ, written by Thomas Akempis. Now, this live broadcast is not occurring on Spreaker, where we typically do our live broadcast. This live broadcast is coming to you from the Podbean podcasting hosting site. We're, we, I keep wanting to do more live broadcast on the Podbean uh, Podbean hosting site. Now, one of the reasons I don't want to do a live broadcast on the Podbean hosting site is because I can't speak it. Okay, I can't say it correctly. No. So we're coming to you live from the Podbean podcasting hosting site. And the reason we're doing that is I've looked at what really goes on in the live feed there on, on Podbean. And I thought, you know what? I think we should we should try to bring our our perspective and our way of teaching into this area. So that's what we're doing. So we are going to be trying to do a little a more, more live broadcast on Podbean. It's hard when you move to a different platform, getting used to it. The other, the other, you know, on Spreaker, that's always will be our main home. That's where we will always do most of our live broadcasting. But whenever I see other opportunities out there, then my, my perspective is go where people are, don't expect the people to come to where you are. Go and find them and, and well, do as much teaching as you can, doctrine, theology, church history, Bible study, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So most likely, I probably could be wrong. I, I, I possibly could be wrong. But if I, if I had money and if I believed in gambling, I would probably put some serious money down that this may be the first time anyone's ever done a live broadcast on Podbean where they studied a book that's well over 500 years old and studied the imitation of Christ and a live broadcast. Probably it's not a common thing done anywhere, but that's what we're going to be doing. So we're going to be looking at chapter two of book one of the imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. Now, for those who, who, who may not know, the book, The Imitation of Christ, was pu the publication date. It's really interesting when you're trying to find out exactly when this book was published. You will find very, like, somewhere between here and here. Um, it, it usually will be something listed like 1418 AD to 1427, somewhere between that time. Obviously, 1418, uh, 1418, 1419, 1420. 1421, somewhere around there, you're getting to around 500 years uh, uh, that this book has been around and this book has been massively influential. And this is what's so interesting about The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis is it's wide, it's wide influence. Like it doesn't seem to, to matter the, the kind of the theological background of the book because it's influenced so many different theological streams. I was introduced to The Imitation of Christ. I know I've said this now. We've been covering this book now for, you know, well over a year, I think maybe two years now. Um, 
that I was introduced to it in, in an independent fundamental Baptist church, which would obviously been 1,009 bazillion. I know that's not even a number. <laughs> that's not even a number. It, it would have been, it would have been completely against the theology of Thomas Akempis, like completely against it. But it's like they didn't even, in their mind, they didn't even, maybe they didn't even understand the theological background of Thomas Akempis. Maybe they didn't even understand the origins of the book, but they were like, hey, this is a great book. And I'm like, okay, I was in the Bible Institute, uh, Papillion, Nebraska, um, when I was, you know, they, we started talking about the imitation of Christ. And then at, at lunch, I went to Divine Truth, uh, the bookstore that was not too far from where we met for the Bible Institute. And I purchased a copy that I'm holding right here in my hand. That was like 1991, 1992. The book has now fallen apart. But I mean, they would not have understood it. And it's it's just, it's been such a influential book. So I thought we would spend some time studying it. So tonight we're in book two, or book two, yeah, book two, chapter two. And this chapter is called Humble Submission. Humble Submission submission. So we have the concepts of humility and the concepts of submission. I would say very relevant topics for Christians in 2021, as it's always been very relevant topics for Christians in, in, at any time. 1400s, 1500s, 300s, 200s, at any point in church history, Humble submission is very relevant because first we have the concept of humility, which goes against everything in our nature. Remember, the very essence of sin is I. The very essence of sin is the exaltation of I. It's the worship of I. It's the promotion of self. Sin is all about you. Sin makes you the God that you follow and the God you serve. It's just the way, it's just the way it works. And, and it, I, I wish that it was an easier way to fight that, but it's just, it's not, the, it's not, it's not the way it works. We have a tendency to, just because of our sinful nature, to exalt self. Again, the essence of sin is I. The essence of sin is the exaltation of self. So humility, humility becomes very important concept. To fight that, we have to replace self with humility, or we could say it this way, we have to replace self with denying self, dying to self, and turning from self, right? So there's the idea of humility. We uh, Humility is where you, your humility, if sin, if the essence of sin is I, if the essence of sin is self, the essence of humility is the complete annihilation of self. Humility is not even aware of self. Humility is the opposite of that. And in submission, well, to submit myself to God or to anything other than my own wants and my own desires is the very struggle of the Christian life. The tr struggle of the Christian life is to embrace humility, right? To embrace humility and to, to be able to submit myself to spiritual authority to authority. And so th this is a very relevant topic in 2021. It's always been a very relevant topic because of, well, the issues we have with this very real problem, which is arrogance. And we, and we don't want to submit, we want to rebel. I mean, if you think about it, we don't want humility because we want to exalt self. We don't want to submit, we want to be in charge. 
And this, we see this problem throughout scripture. So let's see what Thomas Akempis had to say about this. I think we can finish this all in one episode, I think. And I, for those who listen on Spreaker, I apologize for taking a few minutes here. I'm taking just a little bit of time to give people the opportunity to catch, to come into the live feed for here on Podbean. I know uh, on Spreaker, a lot, I don't even worry about it. I just go in and just start and don't even worry about it. But here I'm being a little bit more uh, aware of people coming in and leaving the channel. Podbean shows me people coming in and people leaving, people coming in and people leaving, which can be distracting is another thing I'm trying to get used to. I kind of like on Spreaker, I don't have a clue who's listening. I kind of like that, but it's just just little behind the scenes things so that you understand why, why is he taking a little bit longer here to get started? Well, I mean, sometimes I do that anyway, but you get the idea. All right, here we go. You ready? Humble submission, Thomas Kempis. Here we go. Count not of great importance who is for you or against you. Now, that, that in some ways, that may come across as very arrogant. So, so you like humble submission and then immediately, Thomas Akempis immediately starts off by saying, okay, listen, don't count of no great importance anyone who is for you or against you. In other words, don't be, this is the idea that, that what Thomas Akempis is saying, that for your spiritual life, if we're going to imitate Christ, we cannot be concerned about those who are for us or those who are against us. We cannot be too moved by praise or criticism. Now, we have to be careful here, right? We got to be very careful because with these principles, there's always got to be a, a biblical balance. Remember, we should not be too moved by criticism or praise, right? Because sometimes praise can build us up and then it causes us to have issues and how we, we, we proceed and cause us pride and different problems in our spiritual life. At the same time, criticism can so discourage us that we just basically sit down on the side of the road and give up. So we cannot allow either to move us. We must remain consistent, not moved by the praise of men or the criticism of men. However, I do have to offer a word of caution here. Whenever we receive criticism, yes, we don't want to be too moved by it, but we always must at least consider if there's any element of truth to it and act accordingly, right? If there's a criticism. I mean, well, okay, is there is there some, is this, does this have some truth to it? Because here's what happens. You can develop an attitude like, I don't care what people say about me. I'm just going to do whatever I want. But it could be you're receiving godly criticism, that you're receiving godly rebuke or godly correction. So we we have to make sure we don't take this the wrong way. All right, so let's, let's go through this again. Count not of great importance who is for you or against you. Remain consistent. And they give two very important scriptures here. Romans 8, 31. Now, remember, in some editions of the Imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis, the scriptures are not listed. And in some, they are. Some, they're placed as a footnote. So, but it's always interesting to see what scriptures are kind of thrown out there. Remember, Thomas Kempis's use of scripture is questionable at best. It will just rip a verse literally out of its context and throw it out there 
So always be careful of how Thomas Akempis uses scriptures, right? It's sometimes I just ignore the scriptures he puts forth because sometimes you're like, why did he use that scripture? Oh, <laughs> it has a similar word. <laughs> it's like, well, what in the world? But let's look at this one. Right, Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. This is an interesting scripture to use here. Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter, and the reason this is interesting is because we're we're still working through the book of Romans, and so this is a very important passage here. Romans chapter eight, verse thirty-one. What shall we say? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now this goes into a, a, a larger theological context here. But what Thomas Akempis is trying to say: Hey, if God is for you, in other words, if if now I'm going to put it in my theological. Uh, perspective, because this will go against Thomas Akempis. But if you are a believer and you've trusted in Christ and you've been saved by Christ, by his imputed righteousness, then he is for you. Who can be against you? People can make accusations against you. People can judge you. People can condemn you. People can say whatever they can say about you. You cannot be moved by that. Now, again, we have to hear godly criticism, but we cannot assign such great importance that we allow someone's criticism someone's judgment to completely just make us give up and, and come to the end of ourselves. We can't allow it to happen. We can't allow the criticism of others to bring us too low. We can't allow the praise of others to move us too high. Right? There, there's, a, there's a correct way to walk. They also uh, have mentioned here 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 where we read these words, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. That's interesting. Paul's like, hey, I'm not, I'm not bothered about who judges me. I don't even judge myself because ultimately the judgment that matters is the judgment of God's word, right? The judge, now, sometimes Christians will say, well, I don't care what anybody says, only God can judge me, but they're not willing to go what God, <laughs> they're not really going, they're not really willing to go to God's word to allow God to judge them. That's just something they do to deflect anyone else's criticism. That, that's not what Thomas Akempis is saying here. That's not what Paul is saying there in 1 Corinthians. Hey, no one else, I don't care what anybody else says about me. I care what God says about me, but you have to be willing to open up your Bible to see what God has to say. And you'll find yourself saying, woe is me, I am undone, because you'll realize that you are guilty and you're a sinner. And that the only way you're going to be saved is by an imputed righteousness that comes from Christ. So very important concept. So let's read it again. Count not of great importance who is for you or against you. That we quoted those scriptures. Now let's put the thought together. Count not of great importance, importance who is for you or against you, but let this be your aim and care, that God be with you and everything you do. In other words, the attitude here is don't get too low, don't get too high with criticism or praise. Don't let anybody, their opinions of you, don't, don't, don't let that flux, don't let that cause you to, to be moved, right? You, you just stay consistent. And your aim and your goal and your care is that God be with you in everything you do. Your focus is on God, his thoughts, his word. That's what you should be concerned with. They go on, he goes on to say, have a good conscience and God shall defend 
you. Now we can get into a whole discussion about conscience, um, what conscience can do. It's the limitations of conscience. We can, how how you have to have a well a well formed conscience. This gets into a whole theological discussion about conscience. And remember, Thomas Kempis is coming to us from a, a Catholic theological perspective, and there's a lot of discussion in the Catholic Catechism about conscience, which we have already discussed, I think, in our study of this book. For whom God wills to help, no man's perverseness shall be able to hurt. Basically, the idea, if God is there to help you, if God is standing by you, nobody else can hurt you. Doesn't matter. They may hurt your feelings. They may hurt your, they may, they may make me, make you angry, but you just gotta, you gotta just not, not give, just, you've got to view them of not great importance. Now, I, again, you've got to, you've got to make sure you have, this is, there's danger written all over this. You can take this the wrong way, but I mean, sometimes you're like, okay, look, that's it. They gave me a criticism. I looked at it. I don't, I don't believe that there's anything biblical about their criticism, so I'm just going to move on. And you can't be so, well, sometimes what we have a tendency to do when we, when we face great criticism is we become committed to trying to prove them wrong. Well, then that distracts us from living out our Christian life. Our, the Christian life is not to try to prove the people who criticize us wrong. And sometimes when, when people praise us, we become then dedicated to trying to get more praise. You get a little bit of praise. It's like a hit of a drug. And now you want more of it. Now you want, and so now you start living your Christian life in a way to, you either start living your Christian life in order to prove the, the people who criticize you wrong. Well, that's the wrong motivation. Or you continue to live your Christian life in a way to try to get more praise. And now you're trying to please men. That's the wrong motivation. Your motivation should be God. His pleasure, not those who criticize you or those who praise you. I think I think that's very very important. All right. Um, if you know how to be silent and suffer, without a doubt, you shall see the help of the Lord. Question: Do you know how to be silent and suffer? When should we speak? And when should we be quiet? I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that every situation calls us to be silent, but I think in most cases, when we receive praise or we receive criticism, sometimes it's just better to be silent. Sometimes you can say, thank you for the praise, but just, just move on. And I think we just, because again, if, if we're not careful, then our motivation will be to either, we got to respond. I got to prove those critics wrong. I've got to respond to every single one. I got to go out there and I got to prove these people wrong. Then you can't live your Christian life doing that way, or you just start now trying to say everything you can say to get more praise. I'm, in either case, that is not that is not a good good way to live, and that is actually contrary to to you walking. I think a Christian life that will be God glorifying. All right. He himself, speaking of God, knows the times and manner of delivering you, and therefore you ought to resign yourself unto Him. It belongs to God to help and deliver from all confusion. Now, this is the idea that, hey, if it's a negative situation, just rely on God. God knows when to deliver you. God knows the situation. God is all-knowing. Trust God to fix the situation. It's hard sometimes to rely on God. Sometimes like, God, we need a, you need a little help. And we could go back to the story of Abram and Sarai and seeing what happens when we try to help God. Next paragraph. 
It is often very profitable to keep us, it is often very profitable to keep us humble that others know and rebuke our faults. Now, this is very important. We have to be willing. We, we should so desire godly humility in our life. We should so desire God, godly humility that we welcome trial, tribulation, criticism, judgment, gossip, slander, if it humbles us. Now, what we have a tendency to do is we want all of those things fixed, all of those things removed. We want to be proved right. We want to be justified. We, we, we want everything to be made right. And sometimes we desire the end of trial, the end of suffering, and the end of gossip and slander more than we desire godly humility. What do you desire more? Things to go right or godly humility? You have to see anything coming into your life. How can it break me down and bring me to a position of humility? If it brings you to a position of humility, you welcome it. You accept it. You thank God for it. Now, I'm not sitting here preaching this like I've got this figured out. I've been in great situation. I've been in situations where I received much criticism, much judgment, much condemnation, and rightly so because of my mistakes, my errors, my sins, my foolishness, my stupidity. I received that. But in many cases, I found that what I wanted to do was I wanted to prove these people wrong or I wanted to somehow be find a way to justify myself or excuse myself. or, or And you know what? That, that was the wrong motivation. I should have said, you know what? Whether what they said is true or whether what they said is false. Whether they've slandered me, whether they've spoken the truth, whether they were ungodly in the way they handled themselves. How can this be used to break me, to humble me? Now, sometimes I wanted the humility. Sometimes I wanted justification, revenge, or whatever the case may be. And don't act like you're super, super spiritual because sometimes I want... I want the problems to go away. I don't want humility. Sometimes it's profitable to keep us humble that others know and rebuke our faults. When a man humbles himself for his faults, he he easily pacifies others and lightly satisfies those who are offended with him. Now, humility sometimes stops the criticism. Sometimes it doesn't. But the issue is you should not seek humility simply to silent your critics. You should seek humility because humility is pleasing to God. You shouldn't seek humility for what you can get from it because that makes it about you. And if you make humility about you, then that's not humility, right? That's the opposite of it. God protects the humble and delivers him. He loves and comforts the humble. Unto the humble man, he inclines himself. Unto the humble, he gives great grace. And after his humiliation, he raises him to glory. Unto the humble, he reveals his secrets and sweetly draws and invites him unto himself. The humble man, though he suffers confusion, is yet perfectly in peace, for he rests on God and not on the world. Do not think that you have made any progress unless you esteem yourself 
inferior to all. Until you see yourself as inferior to everyone else, you will not make progress in your spiritual life. That is a massive claim. And I would say I have struggled with this my entire Christian life, right? Because I, 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 early in my Christian life, like I'm going to read more than everyone else. I'm going to know more than everyone else. I'm going to study my Bible. I'm going to study theology. I'm going to study church history. I'm going to study doctrine. I'm going to know more than everyone because I want to be, I almost viewed it as a competition. I'm going to be more godly than everyone else. I'm going to be more right than everyone else. I'm going to be more knowledgeable than everyone else. I'm going to win every debate. I'm going to be better than everyone because I want to be praised for my Christian life. Now, I may not have said it that way, but there was some motivation there. I felt like that my new identity, I didn't really have an identity before becoming a Christian, right? I was a mess. Becoming a Christian gave me a sense of purpose, gave me a sense of identity. But that identity in my mind demanded then that I was the best Christian. I was better than everyone else. And so it, I, it was, it's not that I would try to look that I'm better than everyone else, but I definitely wanted to be in a sense above everyone else so that they would never question my knowledge of scripture and that it, hey, they're going to ask a question in Sunday school. I'm going to know the answer before anybody else. They ask me where that scripture is. I'm going to know it before anyone else. I want to know the, I want to be there. And so I didn't, I, I, whether I want to admit it or not, I, I looked at myself as being superior. I may not have said it in such a crass fleshly way, but that's what was in my heart. Now, failure and sin and failure and sin and failure and sin has a way of making you realize how utterly stupid you are. And it took a lot of failure and a lot of sin before I realized how stupid I was. I wanted this Christianity was like my chance to be something. Christianity was the chance that I could be someone. Uh, Christianity was going to be my chance that, hey, I, I I came from this horrible background, but now I'm going to be standing behind a pulpit, and 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 I and I it, it became a lot about not my identity in Christ, but but it became about my identity. It took a long time. I think I've just now, maybe in the last five, six, seven years, I, five. Well, I'd have to go back seven years. I think I think six, seven years was a major turning point in my in my Christian life because of my own failure, stupidity, and sin. And then I started realizing, man, I went into this about me, and now there's nothing left of me. I'm 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 viewed as a failure. I'm viewed as people thinking all kinds of horrible things about me. I, I'm a mess. And once I realized how much of a mess I was, then that feeling of inf of of superiority turned into a feeling of inferiority and realizing I'm not better than anybody else. I'm a sinner like anybody else. Yeah, I may study. I may read. I may know. I, I, I got to be careful. I got I to gotta change a lot. And so I'm not saying that I've got it figured out. I'm not saying that I, because the minute I say I have reached godly humility is the minute I realize that I haven't because humility won't even know that it's reached it. There's, there's, we've got to, not allow people who criticize us or people who praise us to have a major impact on us. We cannot get brought too low by criticism or brought too high by praise. We can't allow the criticism 
or the praise to become the thing that motivates us in our spiritual life. We cannot. We have to be willing that no matter how, what, how bad things get, that we welcome it if it brings us humility, if it humbles us. We should desire godly humility above all else, more than comfort, more than even a good reputation. Right? And then we have to realize that in your spiritual life, you are not going to make any progress until you esteem yourself inferior to all. And sometimes the thing that will make you feel inferior is your own shame, your own failure, and, 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 and I'm not saying we should, you should run out tonight and commit some horrible sin. I'm saying you should remember all the sins you've already committed and that should break you and humble you. And sometimes it's young Christians who become, become very full of themselves and very arrogant thinking, look at me, I'm godly and I'm more godly and more passionate than all these people in the church. And maybe the people in the church are complacent and apathetic and maybe they need to be rebuked, but be very careful because once you start making it about you, your spiritual progress comes to a crashing halt. You may continue to progress in your knowledge. You may continue to progress thinking, uh, you, may be, you may continue to progress in your knowledge and your, your understanding of theology and your understanding of church history, but your progress in your spiritual life will absolutely stop until you see yourself as inferior to everyone else. Else. Again, I cannot stress this enough. This is such a profound principle. Let me read it to you again. Do not think that you have made any progress until you esteem yourself inferior to all. I cannot speak for others. I know I'm going to be repetitive here, but I've got to stress this. In my Christian life, my identity as a Christian became like, okay, I, I saw this as competition. I'm going to be more knowledgeable than anybody else. I'm going to, I'm going to know everything else. I'm going to study, 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 study. I'm going to get all the answers right in church. I'm going to know the scriptures. I'm going to know theology. I'm going to go to church history. I'm going to look at everybody else and like, what's your problem? I'm godly because I needed, I needed an identity. I didn't have an identity before salvation. I had one, one area in my life where I could find identity, but now it was going to be Christianity. That was going to be it. And so it, it became about me. And, and, and even though I wouldn't have been, even though I would not have said I'm better than everyone else, there was a feeling of at least desiring to be better than everyone else and getting that recognition of being smarter, more godly, more committed than everyone else. I wanted that recognition. And that was turning the spirit, my spirituality was basically becoming an, a, an avenue, a stream of pride. In other words, my spirituality was becoming the source of pride. I was developing pridefulness about my own spirituality, which then at some point it was failure, constant failure, horrible mistakes. And, and again, finding myself realizing that I'm laying here in the, you know, the pigsty, everyone's mocking me, talking about me, speaking negatively about me, that I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, a minute, I'm not better than everyone else. And then I realized, wait a minute, I've got to allow the judgment and condemnation, gossip and slander about me to be the thing that humbles me and hopefully continues to break me. Your spiritual advancement is critical that you develop an I and a understanding of being inferior to everyone else. You see others better than yourself. And you do so because you realize that you are a sinner who deserves nothing. Doesn't mean that you, you it's a fake humility. 
Like, look, I know that I read a lot. I know that I study a lot. I know I've gone to multiple, multiple schools. I know I have multiple degrees in theology, church history, religious education. I know that. I'm not going to deny that. But that doesn't make me superior to anyone else. I'm still inferior to everyone else because I am a sinner saved by grace, not by my knowledge, not by what I can be. And it's if my salvation becomes about me having an identity, that's the problem. Salvation is not about me gaining an identity. Salvation is about me losing my identity by dying to self, denying self, and turning from self. And Thomas Akempis is strongly emphasizing that. It's not about you. The essence of sin is the exaltation of self, and God calls for a humility, which is really the loss of self, the annihilation of self. That concludes the chapter. Chapter two, Humble Submission by Thomas Akempis from book two, from the famous book, The Imitation of Christ. There is some powerful things in that chapter. But the last line, I just have to read it one more time. Do not think that you have made any progress unless you esteem yourself inferior to all. Wow. I don't even know what to say other than every time I read a chapter in The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, I am more and more convicted and more and more just blown away by some of the wisdom and insight that he did demonstrate. I agree, disagree with his theology strongly, no question about it, but the book has had a profound impact on millions of people's lives for over 500 years. And uh, well, I'm glad that it's there and, and hopefully all of, the, all of the, what, two years working through this book has benefited uh, someone, all right? So I, I thank you uh, for, tho- for those who, a lot of people entered the room and a lot of people left the room very quickly when they realized we were studying a book that was over 500 years old. But for those who, uh, for, well, the one person who stuck around, thank you very much. I do appreciate it. And if anyone came into the room and I didn't ignore you, I'm sorry. Um, there we go. All right. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Nicole, for, uh, for liking the show. I do appreciate that. Um, th- this is, was a live broadcast on the Podbean podcasting platform. Still getting used to it. So, so there was any, if there was anything not quite perfect, I apologize. It, it's so much, just it's it's become so natural on Spreaker. Uh, again, Podbean, it's so weird seeing people come in and out of the room, in and out of the room, and and all you can think of is what did I say wrong? What did I say wrong? What did what did I do wrong? Okay. Or you're sitting there and you worry about how many people are in the room. See, on on, on Spreaker, you cannot see that, and then in some ways that's so great. I just got to learn not to look at the screen and just go in and teach and who shows up is who shows up. But uh, we'll get this uh, uploaded to uh, all of the other podcasting uh, platforms here in the next 15 to 20 minutes. And uh, well, hopefully that was a beneficial look at Humble Submission by Thomas Akempis. Again, chapter two, book two of The Imitation of Christ, a very important book in church history due to its influence. And hopefully that will give you much to think about and consider and meditate on. As always, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. It is now 6.01. I don't know if I'll do another live broadcast now. I will uh, plan to be back here tomorrow and do a lot of live broadcasting. We will see uh, what tomorrow has in store for us. All right. So thanks for listening. Everyone have a wonderful evening. 
Thanks, uh, Nicole, for coming into the channel. And uh, well, may God bless you as you uh, meditate on some of the things we just discussed. God bless.